Hey guys, hello and welcome to another episode. It is very interesting how things basically play out as they're supposed to, how sometimes fates intertwine and connect and intersect and basically in interesting people meet each other and strike up a dialogue and sort of a relationship is born of it. And this episode is basically about that. It's how I began my podcast on Anchor and another individual began his podcast on Anchor and basically we decided to do it on the same day and on the same day we struck up a dialogue and learned that we're actually quite like-minded and that we see things in very similar ways and we have very similar points of view when it comes to looking at the world so it was a very interesting dialogue but I'll let you judge for yourselves so have a listen i actually i actually had this idea probably for the last week or so and i told about it to my uh viewers on youtube and i told about it to uh, basically my friends on facebook and we have this huge ancestral heritage from basically way before religion ever existed and it's not advertised anywhere. We're actually being forced into, I'd say, one of three major religions. Every single one of us. It's either Christianity or Islam or Judaism, which is basically the same thing, just three different names. The foundations, I mean, the, if, you, if you look at things, like if you're looking at a picture and a painting and you're looking at a specific point, you're only going to see a... a you're not going to see the beauty in it, but when you stand back, you can see everything. So if you use a generalization... There are certain correlations that are found in many religions that are fundamental to have a basic moral, you know? Exactly. And, and they all had to come from somewhere. They all came from original source, which... <clears throat> well, do you, do you think um, religion got uh, manipulated as a form of uh, control? Of course. It's still being used as a form of control. Let me let me run a hypothetical by you. I call it A to B thought process, right? Okay. And we, we shoot at that into any religion. You have to think within A to B within a segment, those parameters. So if you think outside those thoughts, you know, then you start then you have questions arising and people start to question certain aspects of the religion, right? And people exactly. start to feel like a loss of control. So therefore now you need to come up with a ideals to sustain that state of mind. So what you do is you tell people that any thoughts are influenced by a foreign entity. You know, um, they're not your thoughts. Something's manipulating you. Something's controlling you. So therefore you question your own thoughts, you know, and, um, and it leaves you in a certain point where you can't really go outside the, 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 the box because you're afraid. You're also afraid of, of what happens after we die, you know? And, and it just, it's, it's sad to see how people take such a moral, you know, belief system that we can all live by and then use it for their own personal gain. And that's actually, that's actually how pretty much religion works, is control through fear. Uh, they, t they tell you, if you do this during life, you will receive this after, after death. If you do this, you will go to such a place. And they basically want to control your every thought, your every movement. And when you ask the right question, they say, well, you're not supposed to, again, I, just what you said you're not supposed to ask it or if you they say well you're not supposed to know the answer that's another thing they will tell you correct correct 
or, or they will tell you you're not ready to know the answer. Mm-hmm. That's true. Let's say, let's break it down and let's take away the, I like to talk without categories because it, it broadens our perspective. So let's say, let's run a hypothetical. Let's, uh, let's say there's this early uh, tribe, right? <clears throat> and they're, um, yep. and they're, um, they have questions about why hasn't it rained for a certain amount of time. So they ask their leader. The leader doesn't know what to say. So he asks the eldest person. The elder person comes up with some story about some person in the sky and, or some God not letting the water down. They have to dance. Now you have all these people. Now you create a belief system. They start to dance, you know, in hope of, uh, of rain coming down. And then by some, like, by, by, by small chance, it starts to rain. So now do you have a justification for that belief? It worked, you know? So then you have somebody that's out in the mountains and they're out herding sheep or something and it starts to rain and they didn't dance. So what does that do? It causes them to question, right? Yeah, that's how they question religion. But here, let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. If, well, of course, everything is hypothetical when it comes to religion. <laughs> but if we are designed or if we are created by a supreme being and we are created to be perfect, wouldn't that suggest that we are also able to control everything around us, to control the space around us, and our freedom only ends where another individual's freedom begins? Well, that's a really good point. What, is, uh, what do you think free will is? <laughs> well, free will is basically what you said is, is thinking outside the box and living outside the box and without affecting free will of another individual. So what, is, what, what would you say is the difference between existing and living? Existing is basically what most people do today is they wake up in the morning they go to work, they come home, they feel miserable, they watch some TV, they go to sleep, they wake up the next morning and repeat. So it's kind of like, let the rinse repeat. Correct, correct. Now, yeah, I'm, this is pretty cool that I found you. Uh, I'm writing a book. <clears throat> I'm, I'm done with it. I'm going through the editing process. It's called Graceless. And okay. it's, uh, it's how Lucifer gets cast, down, cast out of heaven through his eyes. Ooh, that would be a fun book because I actually brought that point <laughs> up uh, well, just to clarify something right away, I'm not a Christian, yeah. but My I did bring the Christian, but I can think outside the box. Exactly. And that, that's very, very good because most Christians can't. <laughs> but I did bring up this point with uh, my readers not too long ago. And I said, well, look at it this way. If we are to consider Christianity, look at Satan or Lucifer, whatever name you want to use. How many people did he kill? Like three. Now look at God and look at how many people he killed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's millions. It's in the millions. Now, are we kind of being presented sort of a reverse image here just because the God in the Bible is supposed to be very jealous if somebody worships somebody else? And he wants everybody to worship him. And of course, those who write the Bible, they have the ability to demonize whoever they want and present whoever they want in the better light. Correct, correct. Now, so who's really well, this is the funny thing, and you're going you're gonna to like this. My book, Graceless, basically, what I just told you, the difference between existing and living, um, it's everything's written through his eyes. So it's his thoughts, right? And how he sees the world.
Basically, I describe God as a sun, and the angels fly around him like an atom. And um, Lucifer is the leader of worship, which he guides in the direction the angels fly. And uh, the first chapter, he, and the first chapter and a half, all he does is um, worship the Creator. Everything he says and everything he thinks, it's about how magnificent he is, how like how perfect he is, you know, and 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 he's sent to purify these worlds to reset the system. So the way I describe the angels is they, they have wings, so they're always suspended in space. They never touch a surface, <clears throat> so therefore they never have another stimuli. When he goes to purify this world, he sees these pair. I call them impurities. I tr I try to not categorize everything and he sees these impurities in the ground and um they're praying so he flies down to purify them himself which is to remove the breath of the creator when he comes down he touches the surface <clears throat> which i use the point where we put our feet on the ground right when uh -huh. he touches the surface what would that do if you have never felt anything before you would think right it would spark a thought and, and he starts to analyze what is this feeling now on the ground what what's connecting with my feet and now when he looks up his perception changes of the world around him because now he's actually paying attention where i describe him as a as a he's in a constant flow of time and space and the awareness is sparked by a single thought outside of his own where he has to analyze something that's come that something's making an impact in his life and now he has to focus on a specific point in time and space which create consciousness <clears throat> now i jump the character into this rabbit hole where every thought he is trying to break it down and gain understanding, but he doesn't know the answers. So he's trying to come up with the answers based on logic and his experiencing, therefore creating a framework, becoming basically human. You know, so when he questions the creator and tries to talk to him, he's actually asking him for the answers to the questions, but the creator finds him painted and casts him out. And then I go through the whole process of, of developing this character into its own individual being. Which totally, uh, it's like the path of all evils paved with good intentions. He was just trying to find answers to what was going on in his mind. And in the end, he's punished from it instead of being assisted. That's actually a really good idea for a book. I will completely <laughs> agree with you because when you really look at it, there, there is no good or evil. There is just perception. Exactly. So what would you say? What would you say? I mean, this is a... Uh, off topic, right? So, like, um, do you think that there is a God? Oh, there are lots of different deities. I mean, you're talking to somebody who is uh, a huge supporter of ancestral faith. And I basically returned to my roots, returned to my ancestral roots, and began to discover different deities, different spirits, and went through a whole bunch of tests and trials and it, it's it basically a spiritual journey that never ends and you know people first thought i was crazy but the, now they're doing the same thing i was doing years ago because they saw i wouldn't say they saw value but they saw i'd say they saw light at the end of the tunnel because there's not really duality to the whole spiritual development when it comes to ancestral ways. 
Because if you look at the world today, it's basically at the world of duality. There's good and there's bad. There's things you can do and there's things you can do. So everything is split, split in two, light and darkness and uh, pain and pleasure. So there's, it's basically a world of duality. But when you discover a spiritual journey that your ancestors took, you see that there's more than two choices to everything. That's that's a good thing you say because um, I believe that we live in a constant state of duality between our internal world and external world, and there's a conflict between it. That sometimes we make pains into pleasures so we can be able to cope with them. So, um, are you familiar with guitars? Yes. All right. So think about it this way: you know how every the guitar you tune the top string to an E and you can tune it all the way down. When you play them yes. together, you create a chord, right? Yes. Now, imagine that people's uh, emotions are the filter, which would they take in information and they tune every string to whatever they want to hear. So when they play the whole note together, it's a distorted chord. So oh, I, that's like everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like it's it's funny because because we uh, we tend to listen with the intent to respond, not to understand, which limits our growth as, uh, as humans, you know? And um, like what you said right now, you, you went backwards to see the future. So you went down to the roots, which was, it's less complicated, you know, it's more direct and, 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 and it's becoming really fulfilling to you. And that's really cool, you know? But um, it, like you said, it all comes down to perception. You know, like I could say there is no God and I can say there is God, but that's only to sustain my own personal belief, not to um, like, imply into everybody else and force them to believe in what I believe. That's the way my internal and external world um, can function, but it can function both ways. <clears throat> like I'll tell you something really crazy. You said that most people thought you were crazy, right? Oh, they still do. A lot of people still do. I went through this. Um, have you heard of schizophrenia? Yeah, I can explain it. <laughs> I went through schizophrenia, right? So, if you look at the, the aspects and you look at the religious perspective, they would say I was possessed or I was being tormented by demons. But I looked at it through a scientific lens and I saw something different. Everything that I was hallucinating and experiencing were traumas and things that I had in the back of my head that I just pushed to the side and never dealt with. And they were being manifested into my conscious self, you know, through auditory hallucinations. So I faced them head on and I started to give myself my own psychoanalysis and come to terms with what I was hearing as I identified with everything individually until it was gone completely and has never come back. So that in itself can justify that there is no God. But it well, also... Te technically, what you actually were able to achieve, you were able to suppress... I'd say basically yourself or your other self through your sheer will alone. Correct. So it's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's demons, but it was basically you fighting you. Exactly. Or, or you, you fighting your alternate you, that's in a way. Do you think people fight themselves just because you feel it and you think it doesn't mean it's true? You should oh, question all the time. Something. 
Okay, we are about to run out of time. We should do another 15 minutes because <laughs> 15 minutes is just not enough. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, so let's connect again. Yeah, we will. It was nice. To hey. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and actually, I don't think this has a 15-minute limit because it's a different kind of connection. Okay. Yeah, I'm new to this. I just downloaded this today. I got surgery on my hands, so I'm really limited to what I can do. And I, I saw I, that. I, I actually downloaded this today as well. <laughs> Interesting. Because, well, I used to have a podcast on Spreaker, but those guys charged me a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous, man. To share so, thoughts and ideas, you got to pay for it. Yeah, so I began searching for a free platform and... Actually, today he came across Anchor, and I'm like, ooh, let's try it out. And, you know, for the first day, it's actually quite successful. So it's very interesting. But, yeah, I had this thought, and I'm currently writing – I wouldn't say I'm currently writing a book. I'm currently writing a series. But I also had this thought of sort of reviving an old, really old ancestral faith. And I'm looking – attempting to look at it from all different angles mm -hmm. and one of the angles i keep constantly running into with most religions is that most religions actually resemble a cult mm -hmm. i think number one identifier of a cult is the central figure that is worshipped okay and in christianity i believe it's the god in islam it's what muhammad in Judaism, it's another god, but there's also there is always a central figure. Because we need but, something, we need something to focus things on. I mean, if I told you, if I try to implement a certain belief or, or tell you something, you need to have something outside of yourself that you can use it as a focus point, don't you think? And you know, you know, the best focus point I have ever found. If you what? consider not, if you don't consider gods, if you don't consider deities, but instead consider your ancestors, and mm -hmm. we, every single one of us have different ancestors. So there is no one single central figure. So ancestral faith would not be a cult just by definition. And okay. If every single person focuses on ancestors, those ancestors will not be worshipped, but instead they will be remembered because a child does not worship his parents. He looks up to his parents, do such great things in his life that his parents would be proud of. Uh-huh. There's no worshipping involved. So that's actually kind of what our ancestors did before religions ever came into existence. Because even if you look at the word religion, what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. Religion means uh, R-E. It's what comes before the word. It means repeat. It's a repeat of something. So what is it repeat of? It's a repeat of a le legion. A legion is a group of people that came together. So basically... Anything that states it's a religion, it's something that has existed before, and it's basically a crappy copy of it. 
Well, if you, if you look at it, like I told you, when you look at things in a generalization and remove the categories, you see the correlations in many different religions that it's, it's almost a structure. So, like, remember I told you the A to B, you know, the little tribe? Oh, yeah. And how they, yeah, their system. Now, apply that same system and just mirror it to, let's say, Egypt. They had their leader. Then they have their the, the religious advisors. And they had the group. You know, then you look at the Aztecs. They have the leader, the religion, and the group. Right. And everything's to control the group itself. Then you move up to like when philosophy started coming around, people started thinking, you know, people started getting killed for that. But then now you change because they were actually they were actually free thinkers. Right. Correct. And now if you remove the religion from it and um, now you mirror to the government, it's almost the same thing. And it's not the system that is broken it's the people that run the system. Well, government is a religion. It's a religious cult. So is science. Science is a religion. That's true. Everything. Because we I, I was actually, I, I was talking to a college professor the other day mm -hmm. and I said to him, well, he said to me actually, because we were talking about flat earth and he said to me, well, that's everything related to flat earth is pseudoscience. I'm like, well, if you look at science, science that we know today was considered pseudoscience 500 years ago. Correct. So technically, whatever you call pseudoscience today can be considered science in 500 years. Correct. And yeah, he had a fit with that. He did. He could not comprehend that allegory. That's because he was listening with the intent to respond to prove a point, not to understand your point of view. But he, in the end, he did agree with me because I told him, I said, there is actually no proof if you consider all of the science we have today. I said, there is no proof that we live on a globe. I said, I'm not even going to get into the whole flat earth argument, but there is no proof that we live on a globe. And he's like, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, I actually did find a book the other day that's called, uh, it was published in 1888, I think. And it's called A Hundred Reasons or something. A hundred. Yeah, A Hundred Reasons Why We Don't Live on a Globe. And what was your take in it? It actually made really good, like really valid points. Same, basically same points people are trying to prove today. Most of the books I read, they're over a hundred years old. And uh, most of the books a hundred years ago, dealt with the same issues and the same problems people are dealing with today. So basically we just wasted a hundred years because those issues are still not resolved. Because we, we, because we've, we've learned, we learned that, uh, that uh, <clears throat> basically we don't teach people how to fish. We give them the fish, you know, like you have all these exactly. mental disorders and stuff like that. You know, you categorize a person that's feeling anxious. Okay. You know, you got an anxiety problem when it's an issue in their life that they don't know how to deal with because they're not conditioned to, um, the, and they don't have endurance to take in that emotional stress. So if you look at it, like all we're doing is finding ways to simplify our lives. Like the cell phones, we live in a, in an age of smartphones and dumb people because honestly, and I'll speak for myself. If I tried to tell you somebody's phone number that's on my phone, I probably don't know it. Well, it all depends on how many people you know, I guess. Because <laughs> the first thing I did is memorize my phone number, my wife's phone number, and everybody's in my family phone number. <laughs> Just in case I lose my phone. Just in case. Uh, but yeah, we do. We, we are dependent so much. And, and we, we're, 
we're finding always new ways to simplify our lives, to, to, to find commodities, but totally disregarding what really is to be alive. Like you looked into your ancestral faith and, 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 and did research on that and you're finding fulfillment in it because that's living, you know, you're not just existing. Like we said earlier, you know, oh, yeah. people, people hate me when I ask all the right questions. Yeah, well, I mean, when when someone, when um when a belief is challenged, you know, the primitive side of our brain activates, and on a neurological level, we feel like we're threatened, so we get narrow-minded. Well, I, like even today, I had one one of my friends on Facebook. He sent me a picture, and one of the questions on there was, "Well, do you believe in spirits?" And I tell him, "Like, dude, I have a spirit who lives in my house, and I have a spirit who lives outside my house." How do I know this? Because I interact with them on a daily basis. It, I, I was able to prove to everybody who comes in contact with me on or near my house that I have spirits, and now they don't even question it. It's basically just, it's one of those things that if you are sort of open-minded and friendly to them, they will want to be around you. So people who live in the cities, yeah, you you don't have spirits in the cities. It's dead zones. Correct. I mean, if people I look actually, at if I look at it through your lens, you make sense. Because, well, according, it's not me who said this. It, it wasn't I who said it. But according to my ancestral faith, according to my ancestors, if you have more than ten thousand people in any one place, it's basically people gathering to die. Because as soon as you get a lot of people in one place, so basically any town with population over 10,000, that's a dead zone. That's where people go to die. So, okay, what, 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 what would you say that uh, sustains that belief? Sustains in which way? That, um, do you believe that that's true? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, look at any city right now. Look at any town right now. Uh, what's the average life expectancy for a person living in a, in a town or a city? Oh yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess the more people that are around, the more variables that are in your equation that could cause an effect or ripple with your life in a negative way. So basically the farther you move away from the cities, the longer you are expected to live. I mean, look at how long people lived 200 years ago. For example, uh, I'm sure I'm sure you heard of the War of 1812. Huh? It was basically the the First World War of Europe. The war. Of... Now, how much will it freak you out if I tell you that a hundred years later, so basically on a centennial celebration of the end of that war, there was a medal made that was given out to tens of thousands of veterans of that war. Why, why were they given? To, uh, to basically celebrate 100 years from the Great War. So you take, a, you take a veteran of the war, so even if that kid was 20 years old when the war was going on in 1812, when he, when he was given the medal in 1912, he was at least 120 years old. Mm -hmm. And there were tens of thousands of such medals made. So that only tells you, that fact alone tells you how long people lived even 100 years ago.
But, I mean, in my belief, I think we are our own demise, you know? Oh, yeah, we are. We're going through a, a cycle of degradation right now. If I, I look at it, if I look at it this way, let me, let me run something by you. I, my belief is that humanity is regressing instead of progressing. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, we, we have this, <clears throat> we have the ability to think, not exist, but we're kind of just existing. So, therefore, we're not, we're not conditioning ourselves to deal with life. You know, there's pills for almost every emotion to suppress it, right? Um, kids nowadays are losing their morals. You know, everybody's looking for those pleasures just for the moment. Um, and we all just run and find coping mechanisms to deal with life itself. You know, so well, basically, we are heading towards the next catastrophe, which is not too far off. What would you believe be the next catastrophe? It depends who you believe. And like but, say it in a generalization, based on your look at the way life is and just look at humanity, the way we're living and the way we're thinking, what do you think would be the next catastrophe? Like it's just your opinion. Well, if we don't destroy ourselves, somebody will help us do it. But Gonna be, it's not going to be everybody because we went through uh, through many different uh, what we call it extinction events, and usually when people go through well, when humanity, so to say, goes through an extinction event, let's say even ninety nine percent of people die, you still have that one percent that will live on. Correct, but how would how would how can are we really moving on or are we, are we just an echo of the past? Well, technically right now we're an echo of the past and not even a good one because there have been civilizations that existed before us that were both way more technologically advanced and way more spiritually advanced. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to do right now is actually to find a way to merge those two concepts together. So to find a way to unite spirituality with technology in order to develop ourselves. But again, it begins with an individual. It doesn't begin with a community or society. It begins with an individual. It always takes that one person who's willing to die for something they believe in. Not even to die, just to develop. Because, well, I actually wrote a book, uh, let's see, about six months ago. And I listed all of the steps it takes for an individual to go through in order to develop themselves, in order to basically better themselves spiritually, not monetarily, not like to better their lives with stuff with capitalism, but to better themselves spiritually. And guess how many books I sold? Like, not that many, not as many as I'd like, because people really, now, if you look at people as a, as a whole, they do not want to better themselves spiritually. They want to better them, basically stuff their throat, stuff their pocket. Okay, that's true. Now, uh, let me run this by you with my help. The reason that my book that I'm writing, Graceless, is really complicated to finish because I'm trying to make it into a generalization that everybody can uh, 
can interpret it clean without without feeling threatened by what it says. Now, when, when you use the word spiritually, <clears throat> since we tend to see life in categories, people automatically assume something mystic, you know? So maybe, yeah, maybe, the way, maybe the way you present the information, if you uh, word it differently, it can be digested more appropriately. See, that's the thing. It's not supposed to be digested because it's it's basically designed for people who are ready. So if a person is not ready, he will put that book on the shelf and maybe come back to it, maybe not come back to it. It's basically designed to guide the people who are ready. And that's very few people. That's um, like the whole belief about being awakened. You know, like, okay, you, yeah. you went through your issue, right? You went through your issues. I told you what I went through. My issues, basically, I broke myself down in the... And the belief about the identity that I, that I was that I thought I had, and everything, all my framework got shattered, and I had to rebuild it myself. You know, and that's that's exactly what everybody goes through before they are awakened. That's why they say that not everybody will awaken. It's uh, it will be less than one percent of the population. But it's scary because, um, and I'm telling you from a personal experience, once I got that perception, I was able to see things differently. It's like you can see everybody reacting and just walking around like zombies and you just oh, yeah. want everybody to wake up. You know, what are you doing with your life? Well, that's the first reaction. When the first thing when you awaken, the first thing you want to do is you want to w- wake somebody else up so you have some company. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. That's, I agree with that so much. But it's basically a futile attempt because no matter how much you try, you will never awaken anybody who's not ready. How do you know when a person is ready? When they tell you they're ready. It's like that. They, what you're saying just makes sense to them. Like they, you speak their, they speak your language for some reason, right? Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. That's why people tell me that I'm crazy constantly. That's what I fear the most that, uh, it's being labeled as crazy. Uh, like, see, that's why you got to read my books. Because <laughs> there, there are so many different levels. I mean, wait until, like, right now, most people are, like, when they tell you there's, uh, some, some people will tell you, well, there is, there is no below level one. Well, I will tell you for a fact, most people right now are below level one. They're actually technically even below level zero. Wow. So it's very, it's very difficult for most people to climb out of the hole they actually dug themselves in. Because they're, they're comfortable there. Exactly. They don't want to do any work and they don't want to give away any of their uh, commodities, so to say. Yep, that's true. When you when you realize that all you all all you need is to be happy is within yourself. Oh yeah, all, all of the answers are within you as well. So basically, when you reach a certain level, oh, the fun begins. I will tell you. Uh, well, I basically categorized it in uh, levels, but the fun, the real fun begins when you're like at level five or six. That's you just. Nobody can even put you down, no matter what they try or how they try. Is it like That's everything? It's like everything they're saying to you. You understand it. You know why they're saying what they're saying. You know what causes them to 
to express himself in a certain way that nothing really touches you. It's, just, it's like you're in a constant state of just, you're just neutral. You're cruising. It's weird. Yeah, but that, then when you reach like levels eight and nine, that's when people around you basically, you don't even have to talk to them. They basically just enter the state of realization without you even saying anything. That's funny you mention it, okay? Like, okay, I never really talked to anybody about this. That's why it's funny. You know how sometimes things happen for a reason. You just started this podcast today. I started this, and we happened to connect. Um, I find myself, uh, that with every group of people that I do, they tend to feed off my uh, – you know how we, 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 we rip into other people's lives and we can pick up traits, right, from other people? Habits, yeah. good habits? Yeah. Well, I don't pick up like nobody makes contact with me. Nobody influences my behavior or my habits or my the way I want to react to things. It's always a choice. You know, it's not an emotional response. You know, it's uh, my action is not measured by its counteraction. It's a choice of how I choose to respond. And um, well, that, that's how our awakened people uh, interact with those who are still asleep, because we always have control of our bodies and our actions. So do you think that like, okay, like this has been happening to me more frequently. It's um, people tend to start learning how I think, like they start mimicking my, what I think. Like, and I find myself, we're having conversations and I know where they start analyzing everything. They start breaking things down themselves. You know, they start to mimic my personality. Yeah. That's uh, basically energy exchange. You have control over them because your energy is so much greater because you have awakened. The, what what to do when you're in those moments? Like, what's the best thing to do? Do nothing. Just let it basically work itself out. Just be a catalyst? Yeah. Do not try to swim against the current. Mm -hmm. Or else you end up in a really lonely life. Oh, yeah. It will just... Usually, I don't... When I deal with people, I don't even try to force any of my theories or any of my knowledge or wisdom onto them. I just speak my mind and let them figure everything out for themselves. And those few who actually figure things out, they'll be better off basically. And I've actually met people and this is where the saying that age makes no difference really comes in handy because I've spoken to people who were half my age. I've spoken to kids that were like four or five years old. And I'm like, yep, those people don't need any help. <laughs> Just let them do what they're doing. They're doing great. And that's it. I'm 28. I'm 35. Uh, so how many books have you written? Uh, it's definitely over 30. What? Yeah. <laughs> like 35 books, something like that. I, I mean, I finished both first, my first grace list and, um, I, but I'm going through the editing process because it's really analytical and I want to get it uh -huh. right, you know, because it's basically it's, it's, you're jumping to the character's thought process. And as you're reading it, he's breaking things down in the world around him, but I make it so precise that it's like a mathematical equation. One plus one will be two. So, so when people start to read it, I want them to, to, to see or remember or trigger memory where they've been in that situation before and they've questioned those things and they felt those things. But does one plus one equal two? That's another question. 
That's that's a good question. You got me there. I, I actually brought that up in another conversation I had last week. And think about it this way. If you take a, two water droplets and you combine them, how many water droplets do you have? You got one. There you go. Like, have you, have you, are you familiar with game theory? Uh, I've heard of it. I never really dove into it. Basically, what I did when I started, uh, and I use your lingo, I, do, I usually don't talk to people this way, so it's pretty cool. Awakened, right? <clears throat> the way I did it, yeah. I came up with a mathematical equation for uh, human behavior. And it's, it's um, I just labeled as in, there's cooperation and then there's defect. Every action, either the person cooperates with you or they defect. You know, it's just that simple. And uh, I made it into a, it's called, it's uh, it's 2C, double cooperation, plus or minus C. That all depends on the other person. So the double cooperation means you cooperate. And if the person defects, like, and they don't cooperate back, you tend to stay at a, at a neutral, right? And then if you don't cooperate, yeah. they don't cooperate back. You go down negative one. So I came up with this theory. Okay, so what if I cooperate? And despite what the other person chooses to do, I, I don't let it affect me. And then I'll cooperate again. But I'll cooperate not only externally, but internally too, which leaves you with always a positive, uh, which is an understanding inside yourself of the way things function, of the way people behave, of the way they react. And it, it helped. That's the way I've been living my life for several several years. Really, that's pretty. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Oh, once you reach a certain level, I mean, there is no. It's not really a challenge anymore. It's just basically exploration. Like, what can you do? And yeah, <laughs> you you learn, like you brought up weather. Well, you learn to control the weather at a certain point. That's true. That makes sense. Because I've, I've, done, I've done so many freaky things. Most people won't even believe me until they reach a certain level. But yeah, one, one day it was raining all around probably for 30 miles in every which direction. <laughs> and I, as I was leaving my house to run the errands, I said, well, I don't feel like getting wet today. So I had this beam of sunlight follow me wherever I went for probably the next hour until I got home. So I was probably, I told people about this. I said, I was probably the only person in town that day who did not get wet. It's funny you say that because like everything, it's crazy. It's, I try not to think of it that way because of the issue I went through. I don't want to feel crazy, but um, it's like whatever you decide, whatever you want, if you speak it into existence or you, you know, this is the way I want today to play out. Everything plays out perfectly. As, as long as it does not cause harm to anybody else. Yep. It's like, you got to be aligned from what you think, what you feel and what you're going to do without no hidden intentions, without no manipulation, you know? And, and, yeah. and then everything just goes the way you want it to be without any struggle. Exactly. That, that's exactly how it works. But why, so it's why, actually a lot of fun. It's actually a lot of fun. It is, at, it's, at a it's a lot of fun because you're you're aware of why the things are happening, but nobody else is. You know, it's just, just wait. Just wait until you begin interacting with spirits, 
it will freak you out at first. I can guarantee you. It it gave me the chills the first time it happened. How does it start? How does that process start? Well, you don't. You will begin to feel it because you do not interact at the level of words. It's at the level of feelings, not even emotions, feelings, because you just feel stuff. That's where I, that's where I've had a problem. Like I'm, I disconnected my mind from my, my feelings. You know, I divided myself into three perceptions: what I think, what I say, and what I do. I'm always in yeah. control of what I'm gonna do, and 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 I can think. You, you, you have to at some sometime you have to release the logic, release the thought process, and you you have to allow everything to find balance within you. So you basically have to allow your emotions, your feelings, your logic, your thoughts, your processes, everything to find the balance. Because you need all of those. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, that's pretty scary for me. I mean, I, I guess I put myself, I capture myself in my own logical world where we, I understand everything you're saying it, but the way you say it has more of an emotion, a passion into it. I see it more like logic, like numbers, but it's the same thing. We're in the same conversation, but I want to know how to yeah. get. I want to know how to get there. Because you you have you have to have everything. It's kind of like let's say, uh, I'm gonna try to come up with a situation. Let's say your arm is bothering you, so you decide not to. Well, let's say you broke your arm, right? And you, so you put it in cast. You want to know? So you can't use. Can I tell you something right. that's really funny and this is going to shock you? I have a cast on my arm right now. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I just got surgery yesterday from my finger. <laughs> oh, so you can, you can actually relate to this situation. So let's say you can't use your arm for some time, right? Mm -hmm. But the cast will eventually come off. And aren't you really whole? when you are able to use both of your arms then rather than just use one, because you can actually get by with using one arm, but you will not feel whole until you use both of your arms. It's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I play piano, guitar, and other stuff, and, and, and I paint, and I uh, accidentally cut my tendon on my pinky on my right hand. So I had just a little, they just put some stitches before surgery, and I never realized what a big impact just that little limb causes. You know, just you don't feel whole. You can't function the same without just that little fragment. And and the same goes when it comes to logic, emotions, feelings, and everything else. You can survive. You can get by without any one of those things. But you will not feel whole until you're able to use all of those in harmony. Find the right frequency for uh -huh. Exactly. So what level would you say you are in? Oh, I'd say I am somewhere around level nine. That's pretty good. If I had to, if I had to guess. Uh, like, I know we just met, but based on our interaction, where do you think I am? You're definitely not anything less than a level five. So maybe around level five, maybe six, but not, not see level four is free will. Mm -hmm. That's why very few people ever reach level four because they just don't have free will. 
Because you got to fight yourself to get free will. Yes. So if you if you have free will, you're definitely at least a level four. Mm-hmm. But then comes in emotions and feelings and control and soul and spirit and everything else. So I'd say you're probably probably level five right now. When you begin control the weather, that's where when you're like <laughs> level six or seven. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, I, I'm and I'm not I'm not gonna argue with that because it's funny. I use logic, right? So most people, yeah. most people say a belief, but look how it's one and the same. If I use logic and I and I and I and I try to think of the what are the probability what what is the probability that your hypothetical you don't know anything that's happening with me that your hypothetical related to the my condition, you know? Exactly. That's really crazy, man. Like, that's why it's like, I'm not even going to argue with you or say you're crazy. I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. You know? Yeah. I'm used to people calling me crazy. It doesn't bother me in the least. <laughs> that, that's just pretty cool, man. So when you got to the level that you're in, like, how, can you feel the transitions? Is there like a change in your perception? No, you don't. You don't. That's the thing. You don't feel, you don't even know which level you're at until you begin to think about it. You just basically enjoying life. You're you're not existing. You're living. Exactly correct. So you don't. That doesn't even bother you because you know the levels exist, but it doesn't really bother you which level you're at, especially if you ever had a crisis in your life, because you know, you basically have no fear of death. You have no really logical fears because you know if you screw up in this life, you'll get another chance. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you believe that, that there's the life after death? Technically, it's been scientifically proven. Okay. <laughs> it's, been, it's also been scientifically proven that there's reincarnation. So then if we jump that and let's use uh, generalization again, like I like to do, it brightens our conversation. Have you heard of the indigo children, crystal childs and all that? Yeah. Do you think that's true? Uh, yes. Will that be the enlightened people or? Uh, it all depends on how they are brought up by their parents because you can destroy an indigo child. Indigo child is basically a soul that's reliving another round in our world. And they have a really good connection to their previous life. So you don't really need to teach them anything because they already experienced everything. They're here basically just to finish what they did not finish in their previous life. But they, they really need guidance. So they have to be born to good parents. If they're born to ignorant parents, they will destroy that indigo child. Well, the funny thing you mentioned, I come from the most broken family in the world. Like, um, my parents were sociopaths and narcissists. So I was like their scapegoat child. But that actually, it never hurt me emotionally. I always study them, you know? And, 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 and I started to pay attention to what they say and how they reacted and how they were manipulative. And um, I remember when I was 12, my mom was crying and I walked up to her and I told her, why are you sad? If you know, he's just manipulating you. And she's like, what do you mean? Yeah. He's emotionally manipulating you by filling you up with all these emotions that presented you the logical choice so you can make it. But in reality, it's the, what he wanted all along. So, I mean, I went through a lot of rejection and stuff like, but nothing ever got through to me. Like nothing ever really cost in term damage because People say when you live in broken homes, you become a product of that environment. 
but I'm completely the opposite. You know, I'm so it, it is possible you are borderline indigo child, but it also raises the question: Imagine what you would be if you did not come from a broken home. I don't think I would be this way. Honestly, I think that uh, all the scars that I carry are reminders of when life tried to break me but failed. You know, but I you mean, could also be greater. That, that's another thing. Yeah. Because every time we are faced with a challenge, we lose precious time when we have to do something else. That's true. What happens when there's no but, challenges left that you can't just... What do you do then? Oh, it never happens. There, there are always challenges. Mm. But there's, there's always a plan for all of us. We, we only control, even those who have complete free will, we are still only control a fraction of our lives. That's true. Because it's always like something's guiding you to a certain thing. Like, um, and that something is your ancestors. Do not even question that. I know that firsthand. Um, okay, funny you mentioned that. All right, so check this out. I, um, when I fought myself, I, I made myself a promise not to react to things, right? And, uh -huh. and everything around me got really hard. Like people started being meaner. They started being like hateful and spiteful that, um, that in the end... Like, they just wanted to cause the damage because they wanted to get an emotional response out of me feeling bad. And no matter what, oh, I, yeah. never, I never give them nothing. And I found out something within myself. It's that no matter, they can take my body, my freedom, but they will never take what I want. They can't control what I choose to feel or what I choose to, how I choose to take in the situation. So I, uh, so the whole last year, I wrote 280 letters that um. I, I went through this issue and I, I, I was stuck alone in solitary and um, I wrote 280 letters to nobody. Basically, um, this girl that I met, after having a life where it was a lot of rejection, I went to this concert with this girl and she, it, was just, it was just a normal interaction. It was like, like a cup of water in the desert. And then I went through this trial and I wrote 280 letters talking to this girl analyzing myself, you know, trying to express some type of emotion to somebody without getting any response. And in that process, I learned how to properly show love, you know, that it was a choice to show love to somebody without them giving you nothing in return. And during the letters I wrote that I wanted, I wanted to find happiness for once and I wanted to find somewhere where I can belong. And then uh, everything that I asked for and everything that I wanted, I found it. I just got married last Friday um, the girl that I'm, that I'm with, she's, she loves the way I think she loves the way I am. And, um, she pushes me to write my books, you know, and pushes me to play music, like wants the best out of me. So what you said about the broken home, it's like, I, I went through all that struggle and now I found that home that, that, um, that I wanted to have when I was younger. And think about it this way. You marrying to the girl who supports you in every way can actually be considered a reward from your ancestors for putting up with, or actually for passing their test that they threw at you. 
because sometimes you don't you don't need to fight. You know, most people we tend to fight things when they come our way, and uh, sometimes when you sit there calmly, you you can hear something different and you can see something different. Again, perception. What's the biggest struggle you've ever been through? If I may ask. Biggest what? Struggle in your life that you had to overcome? Oh, uh, let's, let's just keep it simple because I try not to reveal too much about myself. But let's just, say, let's just say I had so many close calls that I stopped counting after six. Wow. But basic, basically, it was my ancestors pushing me in the right direction. So as soon as I would step off the path, I had a near-death experience. And like, like I said, I stopped counting at six. Wow. And we're, we're talking about, uh, I know people who actually experienced clinical death. I never did. But let's just say I was a hair, hair thickness away from basically dying several times. So wait, when you're facing that paradox, you know, like I know there's certain issues that I went through, you know, uh, where your life's going to, you can lose your life. You're basically, that's all you have left and you lose everything. You find something else. You know? And there is no fear. That's there's no the thing. More, yes, there's no more fear for nothing. There's really nothing that can get that heartbeat to elevate anymore. And the, yeah, there's, the, after a certain point, there's no fear of death either. And that's really the best way to live life is when you escape the chains of religion that basically uh, torments you with the fear of death. And when you rid yourself of that fear, you only then do you be truly become free. It's always the fear of uh, some consequence for your actions, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to end it for today because I got to go find my daughter and see what she's doing. All right, no problem. I got to take my dog out. And, uh, yeah, I'll just uh, leave a connection with you so I can find you easy next time and we'll have more conversations because we can definitely build up our, not only our channels, but also build up ourselves. Uh, that sounds really good. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. See you later. later.